The Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network presents Setting the Record Straight, where various Christian Reconstructionist pastors seek to understand and dissect the issues that are plaguing the church today, from the pulpit to the pew. Last week, I, I did go ahead. I didn't send y'all. I forgot to send y'all. I, I went ahead and I sent my notes. And I don't know if y'all can order it, but I, I mean, I'll send a recording as well of, of the message. And last week, I'll, I'll kind of go over it a little bit today. Um, but I, I want to do this because I want us to have kind of in our mind, these are the three tithes I was going to talk about. And because of the three tithes... We also need to know now how do these work and how does this done. We're only going to really attach, take on, and ultimately two of those this morning. Next week we're going to talk about what's considered the poor tithe um, or the judicial tithe. And we've, we talked about it last week. So what, what it comes into is this is the passage of Scripture notoriously for pastors to use when they want people to give to their church. And here it is. They don't go to that. They don't go to the New Testament. They go to the Old Testament. This they, they, Old Testament might have no value to them any other time, but when it comes time when he had trouble with giving in the church, here it is, and he goes into this place and he says, "Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house." Whose house? By the way, that was not the pastor supposed to be asking for that. And he says, "Put me to the test," says the Lord of Hosts, "if I will not open the windows of heaven for you." And pour down for you a blessing until there's no more need. I want to share with you why that was. And this, let me just give a quick, quick, quick overview. When Malachi speaks of the tithe here, we have to ask those questions. This is what we talked about last week. What is the tithe? What and where is the storehouse? Does this still apply to the Christian? And if, if it does, how do we keep from robbing God? Because remember, that was the whole thing. How, do you, how are we robbing you, God, by not bringing in your tithes and your offerings, your contributions? So that's what the pastors will always do. They'll go to this passage of Scripture and say, you're, not, you're sinning against God when you're not giving to the church. Well, we could be. We could definitely be sinning against God. But what we mean by the church, we'll learn today. So here we look at it. Scripture, is, scripture revealed this thing. It wasn't one tithe, but it was actually three. There was a social tithe or the Levitical tithe. Now I'll say the social tithe was the tithe, and we'll talk about this a little bit more. It was something that was given. It was actually given to the priesthood, this, the Levitical priests. The social tithe, the Levitical tithe, was given to them because it's called social because they were to also not only respond. This is not this morning's notes. This is last week. Okay. This is a review. She's going, I get, I, I, I'm lost. I'm just doing a review real quick. Uh it was for the purpose of, because the social aspect of it is, what did the Levites do? Did they just do, did they just teach the law? No. In fact, it was the responsibility of the parents to teach the law. Deuteronomy, if you went to Deuteronomy chapter 6, you go, and you go in there and you see, parents are supposed to teach the children. Now, when it comes to further education or different aspects, the Levites would do that. But they didn't just do teach about the Bible. They also were responsible for music. And other forms of education along those routes. So it's it's a it's a big part of this. The rejoicing tithe was a tithe. We're going to get into this this morning. And this is the one where we took you take it, you took a tenth of your income. First one was a tenth. That was a, and that was of 
That was a tenth of your crops, basically, and all, all the thirstlings. Then you took a rejoicing tithe, which is the second tithe. It's the second tenth of your, of your increase. And you were to take this, and you were to go to Jerusalem, and you're supposed to be sitting down with, with and you'd invite, the, you'd, invite uh, you'd take your family. This is about your family rejoicing. And you would invite the Levite who is from your area maybe to come with you. But if you had, if the, if the, let's just say God really blessed you and to take a tenth was almost impossible to travel a long distance, you were to sell it all, take the money in your hand, go to the city, and buy whatever you wanted to eat and drink and be merry. That's what it says. It was a celebration. It was actually a seven-day celebration. Eighth day, was a, they needed a day of rest as well. The first and the eighth day, they had to have a rest. So, I mean, but it was for seven days. So think about this. That is a celebration. And we'll talk about how this fits in. The poor judicial tithe, really what, poor tithe is not a good description of it. It really, and we'll talk about why, it was a judicial tithe because it took care of those who had no inheritance in the land. It was the foreigner who actually had no inheritance. It was the orphan who had no inheritance. It was the widow who no longer had any form of heritage. They had no standing in the community because they no longer were married. They were not married. They didn't have a representative over them. Okay, So it was, it was a weight on the poor tithe, and that was done locally, by the way. It wasn't like you showed up and everybody that was a beggar, pauper, or faker or not showed up. This was in your local town. So everyone knew who the poor, who the, who the uh, orphan, the, the, and, and the, who the widow was, and who the foreigner was. And you were to invite them to your table, and this was done every three years. You would, it was 10% taken up over three years. So a third, it would be like, not, it wasn't like 10% each year, it was like three point whatever per year. So at the end of three years, you took this. So we're going to scribe this a little bit further, but I want you to see it. There was a purpose. And, and I went into, and I talked about this, I'm not going to go too far into it, but ultimately the scripture was silent of where the location, the locale of the, of the storehouse was. The locale of the storehouse wasn't in Jerusalem necessarily. Because some of the purposes of this was for the Levitical priests that were among you. So they must, there must have been local storehouses as well. But the local storehouse, and I want if you if you get into all of this, um, go ahead, Grace, let's just go ahead and note the screen. The one of the things is it gets down to here, none of these tithes, including the social Levitical tithe, went to an institutional church, but rather to specific people. For their services. Now, what, what, this is a hard. Trust me, when the first time I went through this and I began to, to teach and preach through this, it, it's so contrary to what I all my life and all even all my ministry. The purpose of these ties weren't about the institutional church. It was about those God has called and God has purposed and the ministry that He has. It's about the freedom and liberty. We'll, as we'll see this morning, liberty and responsibility in giving. And I think that's what, that's what changes everything. Because you know what? This, is, this makes, and I know a lot of the pastors that I'm very good friends with, they still struggle in this area. They're afraid that if you tell their, you tell their congregation, they don't, you don't have to give, it's not about the institutional church, they know what the deal is. Because listen... If you're not doing, and your church is not doing what God has called the church to do, people are empowered to take that, that tithe and to put it into ministries and resources that are doing God's kingdom work. 
And what happens? That God's kingdom flourishes, but that church might shrink up and shrivel and die. So it, what does it do? It empowers, it should encourage and convict and empower pastors to speak the truth of God's word no matter what, regardless of whether they get a paycheck or not. And that's what this does. And so as we come into this day, the question I have for this morning is, and it'll go to the top is, is the Christian responsible for all these tithes today? And this is the problem. Because I was always taught you give a tenth to the church. Until a few years ago, I never heard of the other two tithes. Yet, they are plainly in Scripture. So what does that tell you? So for... Well, I'd say probably about... This was about three years ago was the first time I preached through this. So a little over... Around three years ago was the first time I had read it. So in 20 years of ministry, 17 years of ministry, I never preached one message regarding this. In all my years as a believer, being in a church all my life, being and coming to know Christ, never heard one message preached on the other two tithes. I'm 40 years old, and until three years ago, when I read it myself, I'll tell you the problem. There's something not right about that. So, number one. This will be easy today. There's eight points and there's a couple sub-points under number seven. God warns us about adding to or taking away from His commands. He warns us. Two weeks ago, I I read the scripture, I sang the song, and we talked about let our words be few. Be careful, guard your hearts as you come before the the Lord your God. Don't be careful about what you utter before Him. Okay, We don't want to add to His word nor take away from it, do we? So it starts here. Deuteronomy 12, 29-32 tells us, When the Lord your God cuts off before you the nations whom you go into dispossess, and you dispossess them and dwell in their land... Take care that you are not ensnared to follow them after they have been destroyed before you, and that you do not inquire about their gods, saying, How do these nations serve their gods? That I also may do the same. You shall not worship the Lord their daughters in the fire, uh, worship through the Lord their daughters in the fire to their gods. Everything that I command you, you shall be careful to do. You shall not add to it or take away from it. Now, I will tell you this. This is a very strong doctrine. If you, I was to preach just on this alone. This is a strong doctrine about going and sitting down and having Bible studies with Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons and other people who are of, not, of what we would say are non-biblical faiths. You don't sit down and do it. You need to understand that you're going with one purpose in mind, and that is to speak the truth of God's Word. You're not going to have a Bible study with them but on this, based upon this. Why? Because we don't need to understand the meaning behind why they worship a false god in order to talk to them about worshiping about about the true god we need to speak the truth of god's word this is a very firm scripture about this this is dangerous this is dangerous i mean i've been taught you need to befriend every person you have a conversation with you got to get to know them really well well the thing is is you can tie your heart and your life to someone who is not is not <laughs> the alarm has been said um you can tie yourself to someone 
that their whole sole purpose and mission is to one is to lead you away from Christ into a false god. And so I know I can read everything I need to know without having to sit down and do a Bible study with them. And then we can sit back and go, okay, let's have this conversation. It's going to be a long conversation, but we're going to. You need to know these faiths. All right, God warns us about adding to or taking away. Secondly. If we do not, do not give as God commands, we are told we rob God. So this is, the, this is the place. I don't want to do something that God has not told me to do, and I don't want to not do something He has told me to do. And if I don't give as He commands, I recognize that I'm robbing Him. That's what, that's what Malachi 3 says. That's what we just talked about, verses 8 through 10. You say, how have we robbed you in your tithes and contributions? So how am I supposed to do this? This is the, this is the place. If, if you're saying that it's different than what, what preachers are saying or have told us in the past, what do we do with it? Well, let's look at number three. Just as the social tithe went to the Levite for his responsibilities, then, do we have Levites today? I am not a Levite, by the way. Here, remember a very distinct contradiction, the uh, distinct saying, is what? Is they went and worshipped at a temple, and we are now in the New Testament. He says we are a temple of the Holy Spirit, correct? So I, I do not give oversight of your souls. I do not if if I'm just gonna say I don't stand accountable for what you do. I stand accountable for every word and deed I preach and how I shepherd in that way. That's where I stand accountable. So in this sense, just as the social tithe, so the social tithe goes to the people in ministries responsible in the capacities of what? Educating God's people? Serve in music ministry or media ministry, I could even say, in those areas? They serve as officers and judges over the people. Now, I'll explain this a little further. Now, could this, could this social tithe go partly to the church, to, to the ministry? Yes, it can that's not saying it has to all go there. I know that's a lot of words, but I had to be wordy or it would take me forever to rage more of that. You having fun yet? Okay. While y'all are writing that down, think about this. It goes to the people and ministries responsible in the capacity of, of educating or teaching. So, in, in reality... This actually can go to a Christian school. This can go to... That, and here's the thing. It's always important. You ought to, it's not like you just go, we should, we should be going and get... This is, remember, everything material, everything intellectual, all these things belong to God. So if we're just... We can't just go give haphazard with just... I'll just throw money out everywhere. i got to give a tithe somewhere. I'm going to get rid of it. Okay. The thing is, is you, what it means is there's intentionality in your giving. There's research in our giving. We know where this is going, but also we know what the work is being done. That's also a good sign of when, when the work is not being done, when it's removed, what happens? People know something's not right. I might need to listen. But there, the one thing that we talk about, and, and even though I don't agree with some of the actions of some people, one of the things I will agree with them on is Christian media and music has been so far behind. Why? Because we aren't willing to invest in it. A, a gentleman, 
like I said, it don't matter what we think. I mean, but Marcus Pittman said, you know, it's amazing that people look at this thing and they say, "Wow, look! If only Christian, if only Christian movies had this kind of, this kind of uh, enhancement and this just great skill." And he's like, "Yeah, but they gotta, you know, you gotta think about this. They have sitting over here with almost a million dollars worth of cameras or millions of dollars worth of cameras. They have all these equipment. They have all this stuff to do the proper editing. They do all this stuff." And you and and then someone asks for that type of thing, and they're like, "Listen, you, you're just you're, you're just wasting money." That's what we say in the. But if you want to put out the same quality in the con, of content with a purpose that's godly, you got to match it. There's nothing you can do about it. It's not even paying the guys to do the work. It's just the equipment. When it comes to educating people, it's important. Educating God's people, it's important. So music and media ministry, it's important. But also those who, who, who it says officers and judges. Let's, let's look at that. 1 Timothy five seventeen through 18. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. The labor deserves the wages. This is hard, the hardest passage for me ever to say as a pastor. There are some pastors who are like, now listen, this is why you, I, have a, I have my salary package and, and it needs to grow. Um, I've learned a lot of things, but I'll say this. Is God serious about this passage of Scripture? Absolutely. But at the same time, the pastor is not where all the money goes. It's an area. And I'll share with you this. For me as a pastor... Where where do who which pastor do I tie to? Where would I where would I go? So here's the thing, I can tie straight to the church, which means it just comes right back to my pocket eventually. Or are there not ministries that bless me and you help me? And there's things that yes, absolutely. There's opportunities. First Corinthians sixteen one through two says, "Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you are also to do. On the first day, and he even gives a way of doing it. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put some. I love this. Something aside and store it up, as he may prosper, so that there will be no collecting when I come. So what does that mean?" Huh? You pay it. You set it aside. You know this is coming. That social tie, that Levitical tie, they knew all year long. So as a crop came in off the increase of that crop, they were already setting that aside, or whatever it was. They're storing it up. Why? To bring it to the store. They weren't making small trips up there. They were storing it up and storing it up and storing it up. That's why a lot of them would do exactly. They would bring it to their 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 own storehouse. They would pay. They'd either pay to. Uh, they would pay to be able to, to redeem it or they would sell it and they would bring the money because ultimately that's what's going to be most beneficial and it will always be available in your community if you need wheat you need flour, wheat for flour or something along those lines but it was saying be intentional about it fourthly since the social tithe goes to specific people in ministries, they serve the function of the Levites in the storehouse today, requiring us to give properly and those who receive to invest it properly. Now, I'm going to kind of give you on the next thing, 
I'm going to kind of, and Grace will be able to skip through it, just leave it on that screen. Y'all remember, I've told y'all the parable of the talents, right? The master goes away, and he gives one. He gives one a certain amount. He gives another one two, and he gives another one one. Um, the one who had the five or the two, they, what have you, he, they doubled their amount, right? And, the, and they worked hard, and they doubled. The one who won knew that he was a wicked man, and they went and buried it in the dirt and waited for his master to return. And he talked about the one who was a wicked servant who did not take and even invested in the bank to get interest on it. Now, I want to share this with you. We don't give in order to dictate where that money goes. But this is what I, I share with people constantly. We give properly, but we also, and those who receive it are to invest it properly. If you become aware that those who are in, that, that you've given to are not investing it properly, not, not as you want it, but as God would intend it, then for you to continue to give to that would actually be it would be actually investing in something that's unrighteous. And so the best way to do it is to take it and invest it where it's going to what? Grow. Because that's the whole thing. I don't care. I can take a coin out of my pocket, throw it in the dirt. It ain't going to make more money. You can't take a seed and throw it on the asphalt and expect it's going to grow a whole garden. So when you know someone's taking that and doing such a thing, at that point in time, you don't have no longer, you need to find a different place to give. Or, I would say this first, you ought to say to that person, this is wrong, and you need to rethink this. You're not honoring God. And if they continue to say they're not going to change, then it's best to remove that, because that's God's money. It's not even yours. It's not theirs. It's His. And so, at that point in time, the only time that you're responsible for what those people give, do with what you give, is to know that they're investing it properly. And if you know they're investing it properly, that you'll see the growth of that. And that's the key. That's part of our thing. It's a freedom. No one says you have to give to the local church, but no one says you shouldn't either. The point is, if you want the ministry, those are some aspects of it to grow and to get... That's what it is. So if I receive something from someone else, I ought to be giving is what Scripture tells me. Edward A. Uh, I don't know why I have it misspelled. Edward A. Powell, in Tithing and Dominion, wrote, The purpose then of the social tithe is to reinforce upon the heart and mind of, the, of man the judicial principle that God alone is Lord and Creator of man, His society, and His world. Therefore, we can understand that we are to use this tax to capitalize those who are developing the implications of God's law in every area of life and thought. The payment of the Levitical tithe is one of the means by which we may come to know and glorify God and enjoy Him forever. The, by doing this, this is a way for others to see it. It's one of the means we, we are able to glorify God in the work and the kingdom building of he, that He has for us to do. Okay, that is the aspect. Let's go on to the next. Since our Jesus, since our high priest is Jesus... Those who receive the social tithe no longer bring the tithe of the tithe to the high priest at Jerusalem, but tithe it the same way as all the other. Okay, so the Levitical priests would take in the tithe of everything. They, get, they would receive the tithe of, of, of the people's tithe. And then they would tithe a tenth of what they received and gave it to the high priest and his family to take care of them. 
who had the most, they had a greater responsibility every year with the temple and along those lines. So that, that was, but now Jesus is our high priest. And he already owns it anyways. So what do we do? We tithe it the same way. It's, it's, not, like, it's not like these ministries. That's the question is, so a church receives 10%. Let's just say everyone here gave 10% and the church received 10%. The church doesn't turn around and tithe 10%. This is actually an argument against most of the missions that people get most missions giving in churches. They, I was told, it's required, we must give 10% as a church. And I'm like, where? That's what we've always done. We got if, if we tithe, the church has to tithe. No. Because the missions that you want to do can be done. Greater amount of missions work and, and greater involvement can be done if people just give directly or do it themselves. No, 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 no. So what do we do? You have to you give to this missions offering. It goes to a local board, uh, a national board, and the national board takes that and distributes it out as they see fit. Of course, they have overhead because they have people who work there. So a only a small percentage actually goes into the mission field. So I would rather find missionaries, those who are actually, without anybody backing them, have gone by the cause and the leadership of the Holy Spirit, who are, are solid brothers and sisters in Christ. I'd rather take that same money and invest it straight into them, because guess what? Those are the people who are going to be knowing needed, but they're going to use it. And they're going to, have, they're going to, they're going to be what? That's going to be that person that you gave to and they gave to back. Because they already know. It's just the thing is, is there are some things that they cannot do because they don't have enough of the financial resources to do it. But they are they're, they're, there's kingdom growth going regardless of whether they get an income or not. And they're not going to even take that money for themselves and their family. What are they going to do? They're going to turn around and take that money and they're going to invest it in the married ministry because that's their life. Their life is Christ and they're in the middle of all those things. They're going to invest and invest and invest and they're going to have a harvest of righteousness like none other. I think about, I'm going off script here a little bit, but I think about the amount of financial investment in the local churches in our, in our, throughout our nation, and we are one of the most lost and unreached people groups in the world. So what the problem is, is it's not about how much money is invested. It's how it's invested and where it's invested. It's, and I think God will hold us accountable for it. Hebrews 5, 1-10 says, For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward since he himself is beset with weakness. Because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins and just as he does for those of the people. And no one takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said, You are my son, today I have begotten you. And says also in another place, You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And though days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him, being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Jesus is our high priest, but here's the thing. He has called us to many other actions, and, and he were to call, he's called us to join him in, the, in his kingdom work. That's, that's the difference. Sixthly, since there is no Jerusalem for Christians, yes, we have no Mecca. We have no Jerusalem. We do not have to make a pilgrimage. And Christ is Lord over all the world. Each household can decide how they use 
the rejoicing tithe to rejoice before the Lord. That's the second tithe. Remember the first is a social Levitical. This is the second is a rejoicing tithe. Remember this tenth of your increase? Wow. Now, that's, that's in, in, and it's one of those things, we, we've done it, we, as God has given to us, I can't tell you how many, whether it's been invested in, in birthdays or celebrate. one of the things is we love celebrations. And even amongst this group, we love to get together and to celebrate. And this is where this comes in. Now we can use it for that, we can use it for a vacation, I actually use it for a vacation to celebrate God's blessings and what He's done. It doesn't have to be just go to um, just go to a Christian vacation spot either. I mean, it might be that your family goes to Disneyland to evangelize. I don't know, but anyways, it, it, whatever it takes. But you know what? When someone comes, the other thing about this is others were invited alongside this. You're always inviting people into this rejoicing. And when people say, well, why are you rejoicing? You're able to say, God is blessed. Look what God has done, and we wanted to share it with the world. So it's a rejoicing. We ought to, this is where the freedom comes in. This is where the liberty that people don't understand. There's no joy so often in giving. People do it reluctantly or under compulsion, and they don't. They just do it because they feel like they have to, and they get to this place, and someone says, you can rejoice before God. In fact, the scripture will even go further and say, you're to eat and drink and be merry. Rejoice before the Lord. To so all my pastor friends who says you shouldn't eat and you shouldn't be drinking alcohol, this thing says you ought to have the best, strongest drink. It says drink strong drink. Now, I'm not talking about Coca-Cola for the first time. It's, I mean, we're talking about enjoy and celebrate. Thank you, Lord. And we don't see this. What do we do? We slave away day after day, week after week, year after year, trying to put a nest egg away that maybe we'll find happiness one day when all along we're supposed to be doing it. I'm telling you right now, there's some rejoicing about to happen. It won't be very far off. And we long to celebrate with all around us. There's five basic obligations of a rejoicing tithe. And here's and I found this in the book that book, Tithing and Dominion. It's a great book. There's there's two guys who specifically have views on this, and they don't agree with each other on part of this. So I, I go with the one that I hold to greater. Um, the face five basic obligations of a rejoicing tithe. That all firstlings of all animals and trees or their monetary equivalent are to be used. So what does that mean? You take a tenth. Now you might go, well, I don't raise animals. And by the way, I do I try to do this with I try to give uh, do this with pigs. You know, it's not very kosher or anything, but it still works. <laughs> but I I I will tell you this, it was some it was a principle that I was trying to give I actually was trying to find people to give this away to. I'm just sharing this. It's hard to find people who will take they're like, you wrote, what's wrong with it? Like you got to raise it. you got to work for it. God's not giving you everything for free. But you're taking this and you make that investment. You have food coming up very shortly. The first thing with all animals and all trees, their monetary equivalent. Secondly, that approximately one-tenth of all the increase from all other sources are to be set aside for rejoicing once each year. 
So you're setting that aside, setting it aside, setting it aside. So you know you're going to get to throw either one major celebration. This was a week-long celebration. I know our time constraints don't allow, but we, there's nothing wrong with several weekends or several opportunities. That the ministers of God were to be remembered with a token from this tithe. What I was talking about is they were, be, they were be invited. The Levites were invited. And what we ought to do is invite others. And I think this is a, also a great opportunity for us as believers to invite other pastors and other congregations to come in. Because there needs to be unity in the body of Christ. And one of the ways, we might not agree with everything doctrinally, but we can come together. And I know this much, everyone likes to eat and drink and be merry. Whether they agree with alcohol or not, they'll drink their Kool-Aid or their wine, their juice or their whatever. It don't matter. But anyway, it was going to come to this place where they we were able to do this together. And I think that is one of the aspects that we're missing more and more. And this is a great way to say, hey, brothers and sisters, we want to rejoice together. Let, come and join us. <coughs> Excuse me. Come and join us. That the poor and the stranger are also to be remembered, if possible, with some of these funds as a means for evangelizing the faith. So what does that mean? So when the poor are amongst us, we ought to bring them in. And you know what? What greater thing is to send them home with a bounty? This is not the poor tithe, by the way. This is just an ability for us to say, God has blessed me abundantly. I want to give freely. And this is for, I mean, this is about Him. It's not about us. That this is the tithe, that this tithe is to be used solely for rejoicing before the Lord, and it cannot be used to capitalize oneself. It is not about you making more money or putting back a nest egg. That is actually a requirement that you get rid of all of it. Wow. Well, I've got another hundred dollars. <laughs> I don't know what you're going to do, but you need to find a use for that. Wouldn't it be awesome to say, I can't get rid of it, it just keeps coming in. Seventh, the poor tithe was given every three years and had a specific had specific purposes. It had specific purposes. First, the first was it'll be up here on the screen was to remember the stranger because the Israelites were strangers in Egypt as, and as Christians, this world is not our home. So this poor tithe it has a lot of purpose to it. This is just the first of three, but if you look at the Israelites were strangers, right? And as Christians, the Scripture tells us this world is not our home. There's an old, there's an old uh, country gospel singing of, it, of this song, and it was like, this world is not my home, I'm just passing through. This is just a momentary place. Our life is but a vapor, is what Scripture tells us. It's just a, it's just a couple of dashes, but our eternity is eternal. So one of the reasons why we remember the foreigner, the stranger, regardless of legal or illegal, according to man, one of the things is, is we, we were that they were foreigners, and we also know that we know this is not our last and resting place. And we need to remind them of that. We understand the struggle, because this world is a struggle. We were promised that. Deuteronomy ten nineteen through twenty two says, "Here's here's actually where we have it in the law. Love the sojourner." Therefore, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. You shall fear the Lord your God, and you shall serve Him and hold fast to Him. By, by His name you shall swear. He is your praise. He is your God, who has done for you these great and terrifying things that your eyes have seen. Your fathers went down to Egypt, 70 persons, and now the Lord your God has made you as numerous as the stars of the heavens. So remember who you were. Remember what God did and increased your number 
And in doing so, let us not remember that where we came from. Don't for, let us not forget, but let's remember. And remember where we're going. Hebrews 12, 28 and 29 says, Therefore let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. Let's remember of what we, we came from. Dead, we were but... <laughs> I always put it, we were but corpses and He made us alive. And because of that, and the freedom, and, and the freedom He has given us from sin, and slavery to sin, and He has given us life, new life, abundant life, let us be remembered that we have received that kingdom. Secondly, to, we also remember the widow and orphan, because God is a father to the fatherless. I always stop when I, when I get to this place and I mention this word, If I'd never had a preacher preach this passage, re- preach regarding the father of the fatherless, it probably would have been many, many years before I would have uh, surrendered and submitted to the Lord. Um, this was my entire hang-up all my childhood. I say childhood. To the point, my, my parents divorced. My dad abandoned us when we were about four and a half, five years old, when I was four and a half, five years old. And it was until... And this was the reason why the Savior said, He's God, he's the, he's the Father, and you have the Son. And this was one of my biggest hang-up as a child. If He's such a Father, why did He leave me? Why did my dad leave me? And I had a pastor speak the truth of this message of the Father to the fatherless. And I think this, if, in my home church, and, and everybody said, I, I've had family members say, well, you... you you just make you just, this is your memory. This is your made up memory or whatever. And I'm just like, you know, you don't know how it felt. My mom and dad divorced. My mom was forced to go to the singles class, but she was a little bit older, so she couldn't go to the young college age singles. She had to go to the older people. And guess what happened when the older people, older people who had been divorced, when they had to go to that singles class, their kids had to only dwell with people who were along that, and we became bastards and outcasts to the church. And when I told people that, they're like, oh, I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, I know what I was talking about because those are the only Bible studies we got to go to. Only those people were able to come over to our house and have fellowship. We never got to go hang out with all the other kids because we were tainted goods. So you know why I didn't want to know Jesus and I didn't care if He had died for me? It's because everyone who He had died for treated me like I was a bastard. And then this pastor comes out and preaches a message on a father to the fatherless. And recognize they don't know him. We ought to remember them. Because no one else does. They have no place in society. Most, most widows fall by the wayside. Especially the elderly widows. They fall by the wayside. No one knows, knows. Many of them end up in nursing homes. No one knows what they're doing or what's going on. The orphans, we are, we can, we've talked about the orphans in our, in our world. We, we treat them like trash. Psalm 68, 4-6 says, Sing to God, sing praises to His name, lift up a song to Him. This is what we're exhorted to do. Him who rides through the deserts, His name is the Lord. Exult before Him. Father of the fatherless and protector of widows is God in His holy habitation. God settles the solitary in a home. 
He leads out the prisoners to prosperity. But the rebellious dwell in a parched land. Exodus 22 goes on to say, You shall not mistreat any widow or fatherless child. If you do mistreat them and they cry out to me, I will surely hear their cry and my wrath will burn and I will kill you with a sword and your wives shall become widows and your children fatherless. You think God has, a, has some strong speech about how we treat the widow and the orphan? Absolutely. And so when we go to rejoice with this judicial tithe, when we come and we do these things, and before we can even get into how far it goes, let us be reminded of this. God is serious about it. He's a father to the fatherless, and we are His representatives. We are, his, we are Christ's ambassadors before man. And the poor tithe also was used... To keep, see, the widow, orphan, and poor from chronic and destructive poverty. It's to keep them from constant destructive poverty. That's why I said my great-grandmother didn't need the government cheese. She didn't. Because she had, she had a daughter and a son-in-law that were right there in the same town. She had everything she needed. She, she had the ability to work. She didn't have it. And the thing is, is not every widow has need. Let's be, let's be assured of this. This is why it's so important that, the, that this, this poor tithe or this, 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 this area was given locally. Because you would know who was in need. So you didn't just get to be on the role, the widow's role, if we were to call it, just because you're a widow. And especially young widows. Young widows were encouraged to what? To remarry. Why? Because not only because of lust, but also they, they still have plenty of ability. Now, if, until they get remarried, it's the responsibility of, of either family. If they don't have family, it's the responsibility of the church. It's the responsibility of the people to take care of these needs. And they have to work I'm going to tell you this. They don't get to sit back and, and do it. We know about the gleaning of the fields. We'll talk a little bit more about that. But they have to work. They have to earn that. They have to take care of those things. But yes, and at that moment, they can. But the widows who are, who are truly widows, as Paul would say, we're to take care of them. And to know that they're in these, these places and these situations and do nothing. Deuteronomy 14.28 says, At the end of every three years, you shall bring out all the tithe of your produce in the same year and lay it up within your towns. And the Levite, because he has no portion of inheritance with you, and the sojourner, the foreigner, the fatherless, the orphan, and the widow who are within your towns shall come and eat and be filled, that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands that you do. These are all the people who have no inheritance. They have no, no ownership. First Corinthians 16 says, Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you are also told to do on the very first day. What do we do? We set it aside. I'm just telling you, you've, this is a thing about for three years, you're setting aside a portion. For three years. It's not like every. It's not. And what happens at the end of this three years? You can do this. Now we'll talk about a little bit better how this can be used in our in our time and our 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 time constraints of our, our I'd say our the way our society and our culture is today. 
There, it's not just that this is just you set a bunch of food out on the thing, people come by and get it. It's not. It's about. It's intentional. It's very intentional in this. It's meeting need. It's also not to create uh, chronic chronic need and relying. This is where this is not welfare, by the way. That's the thing. It's not a welfare system. That's what we'll talk about a little bit next week. Lastly, this morning and final, we've been given liberty and responsibility in each of these tithes. We're just told, and without going, our, when we started off, it, you know, we talked about this in in Second Corinthians nine. You can leave it up there, Grace. But whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will reap bountifully. And we're to give as the Lord has given in our heart. Mind being reminded that our heart is deceitful. So we need to make sure that what we're giving is not only in obedience to God, but in His leadership of His whole, of the Holy Spirit in general. And just as He has distributed freely to the poor, He will continue on doing it. There's liberty and there's responsibility. So one of the things is is no one's going to show. No one should show up at your door. Saying, I'm here to get your tithe. You've been tithing six months. Now, I'll tell you something. I have had those conversations where people say, I can't believe you're doing we're doing this. Why do you do this? Well, if, if everybody would I never even I've never even said to their face if I know that they didn't give our church or the ministry. Never looked at them and said, Well, if you would give I've always said, Well, if everyone was giving what giving to the church, we'd be good, we'd be fine. But that doesn't happen. That's that's the truthful way to do it. There are some things we can do and some things we can't do. We're at the place that we are today, and we're in these moments, and we're we're now here because of one reason. It's main, the, not only the Lord's leadership and all of it, but the thing is, is we can't we couldn't maintain. We couldn't we had things that weren't appreciated or we weren't using, and ultimately they were not necessary. You can give me a you can give me a a little room with a, a couple fans in it and I'll be happy. You can give me you give me a tree, they'll give me shade, I'll be happy. I've been all over this world preaching. And America is the only place I've ever had air conditioning to do it. I'm just serious. I've stood and preached and taught for hours on end. Three plus hours. In places that are hot, humid. Everybody talks about well, the humidity around here. We got to have some air conditioning. I'm like, I've been in, I've been in Dominican Republic and Haiti area, and I'm gonna tell you right now, it's plenty humid there and plenty hot there. Just as hot as it's actually warmer than it is here, and it is not comfortable. And you just learn that you're gonna have to sweat through some shirts and have to change every day. But I've never seen people more hungry for the word in worse conditions. I've been all over Mexico. I'll tell you right now. I've never been in a church in Mexico that had air conditioning. They don't know the difference. 
Some of them didn't have electricity. I had one place we had to go to only in the morning time because they had no electricity out there. You just preach. All they had was a, a mud, like a mud building, and it had open. There was no gates. There was no doors on the place. I mean, if someone wanted to come and sleep in there at night, in the middle of the night, they could. They'd probably have to sleep with all the rattlesnakes and everything else, too. But um, we'd go in there. They'd, clear, they'd, they'd sweep it out, and we'd meet in there. But you couldn't meet at night because if you met at night, there's no, there's no, you're going to have to leave, have candles or something else. And, I mean, I'm sorry, I'm not bringing a generator out there. I, I want to share this, but there's liberty and responsibility. There's liberty, and I, I, I want us to see that because I remember, I remember someone sharing with me that they were given their bill by their church for the year of their for their giving according to, and there, there's some large. Evangelical and the Catholic Church does it quite a bit, but the large evangelical churches that ask um, for you to write down what you made last year, and then they will send you your appropriate tithe for the year and your expectation. Well, the Catholic Church's problem that I had was one person is they said, "I mean, if we don't give properly to church, they won't give us our last rites." And I said. I was like, well, I'm sure they're going to really want their last rites before the Lord when they have to when they see Him one day, and it won't be given. I, I share these things because God has given us liberty, and I, and I think as we look toward next week, we'll actually talk how do we fulfill the poor and judicial tithe, but also we're going to talk about what about leaving an inheritance. I've talked a little bit about that with y'all. But we're going to talk about inheritance. It was a conversation I just had with my boys this morning because of, uh, because of some griping yesterday. And I think we clarified it. Do we have it clear? we have it clear? Yeah. I thought so. Because what we're doing, everything we're doing is not about here and now. It's their inheritance. It's not only theirs, it's their kids and their grandkids and their great grandkids. When we put it into perspective, it kind of changes everything. Thank you for listening to Setting the Record Straight. Join us on Facebook at the Reconstructionist Radio Discussion Group. And don't forget to visit ReconstructionistRadio.com to listen to all of our podcasts and to download our free audiobooks.